You know, every time I hear that opening, I do wish it was Christmas every day because that is pretty good. That is the opening to Rich Little's uh, Christmas Carol, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight. I was going to come in and be all Scroogey because I'm not having the best December of my life. But then I heard that song and I got happy and I'm really excited to be here with two of my very good friends. Our friend Nate couldn't make it tonight um, because he's under the weather. But in his place, we have a very special guest um, who comes every Christmas. She's gracious enough to come and sit with us, even though she's so busy this time of year. Uh, <laughs> let's say hi to Joanna Wilson. Hey, Joanna, how's it going? Hi, Amanda. It's going good. Good. Is it snowing there? No, it was very overcast today and cold, but uh, no snow. We're probably going to not see much snow for Christmas in Ohio this year. Oh, that's a bummer. Nah. I, oh, you don't care. You don't <laughs> care. <laughs> I was only in an area where it snows for like four years, so I got really into it before I could get sick of it. But I didn't have to shovel it or anything. I just had to look at it. So that made it a lot nicer. Um, but it is snowing in 20 miles outside Rochester, New York, isn't it, Dan? Uh, yes, it is. I'm a, And I'm, I don't know if I sound different tonight, folks, because I'm actually in a... I'm several thousand miles away from where I recorded the last episode. I'm in Marion, New York. We're about 20 miles outside of Rochester, New York, and it's been snowing all day. It got pretty hefty out there. I think it was about 32, 33 degrees when I entered this room, and I'm looking out over sort of a gorgeous, well, I was going to say front yard, but it's actually a field in my parents' house, and there's they've decorated the front of the house, and there's about an inch or two of snow on the ground. There's a huge tree decorated with lights, and it's... um. It's pretty sweet, actually. It um, sounds like the dream, but I wanted you to really say you were in blood beat country because <laughs> when we originally talked about this, that was the oh, first that thing that been, came to mind. Why aren't you? Been, there's no samurais or anything? I was going to say, I see a samurai running up and down the street and someone is having an orgasm. Hey, that's the kind of thing that happens. Th that probably is happening somewhere in New York, but probably closer it to probably Times is. Square. Yeah, probably. So <laughs> yeah, not in, Mar in Marion, New York. This is farm country. They no, no, not here. Um, I, I was going to say two things. One, my mom has a grandfather's clock. It's in the next room. I will try if I hear the grandfather's clock go off, folks. I'll try to mute myself so you don't have to hear it every fifteen minutes. Plus, there are wind chimes nearby. It's like. 27 degrees wind chill or less than that actually so you might hear the occasional wind chime it's all part of christmas it's all christmas it is very festive it's the most festive i'm gonna do i haven't even put up my christmas decorations yet and what's the oh, date boy. the 17th yeah. yeah i don't think it's gonna happen this year i just mm. i just don't i mean there i bought all the gifts i need to buy so that's done and that was actually got me in the spirit mostly because i found a pair of pants that i love and i uh, <laughs> bought them for myself and so <laughs> that made me feel super festive um and then i got drunk so you know how that goes <laughs> but um <laughs> anyway we're not here to talk about my awesome pants but they're really great and i might mention them from time to time um but we are here to talk to joanna and dan about Rachel's christmas special but first 
What I was thinking about before we started recording is that every year that we've had Joanna on, something as awesome has been happening. It's usually a book release. I remember she did Triple Dog Dare, uh, mm-hmm. watching um, a Christmas story marathon, and um, and she's got all these great encyclopedias and like weird Christmas special books, and she's on TV, and she does all this really cool stuff. This year, though, she did something so freaking cool that like <laughs> it's beyond words. So I was just reading up on the story because I only kind of was able to follow it so sort of on the periphery because of my schedule. But um, Joanna is apparently a huge fan of Netflix. And she had um, been saving, I guess, when you get the Netflix rental thing in the mail, you get the part with the envelope where you can send it back. And then you get the other part, which I guess has the information of what you rented. And um, Joanna kept all of her, this is the part that shows you what you rented sides. And how many was it? Like 1,500, Joanna? Yeah, I had 1,556 over the past 13 years that I've collected. <laughs> That's amazing. So I have to ask, I have to ask, were any of those double dipping or are those all just new, just one-time watches? No, some of them were double. And um, and I use Netflix as a major resource for the research sure. that I do. I use a lot of resources, but certainly the DVD service through Netflix, uh, it has been a major uh, resource over the years. And I've... Uh, over the years, uh, I mean, my subscription has changed over the years, but I've also had like up to eight discs at a time. So it was it was quite easy to collect up, you know, more than 1,500 of those envelope fronts. That's amazing. One of the things I was reading an interview with you and you said that, and I could hear it in your voice, that, that was what made it so charming, um, was that you said Netflix was looking for interesting subscribers and you told the interviewer, I'm an interesting subscriber, so I wrote them a letter. <laughs> And I love that because it, you not only did you just amass a lot of those uh, Netflix rentals, but you were doing it for research for a really interesting project in and of itself. So it was like something unique happening and then something unique happened because of it. And that's what makes it even cooler. So w- was it your idea to make the dress? It was, right? It was. I mean, I originally saved all these things because the paper that the envelopes come in is really an uh, unusual sort of paper. I don't know if there's a plastic woven into that paper fiber or what it is, but uh, if you've ever subscribed to the DVDs through Netflix, um, you've you've touched that paper and you probably know what I'm talking about. It has those mailers have to go through the rain and through the snow when they get shipped to your house. So there's something in that paper that makes them from that you know that keeps them from breaking down underwater. And so I saved these things because I actually thought I would make something. I'm sort of a crafty person. Yeah, you I are. thought I, I would make something with these papers, but I needed to save a bunch of them up. And I just kept tossing them into a box. And it's not like I'm a hoarder. I don't have, you know, 50 boxes of these uh, sheets. They're actually just single individual sheets. And so all 1,556 fit into one, you know, small box. It's It's not that big of a deal. But I did save them for 13 years. I kept putting off any kind of craft project. But over those 13 years, I did eventually um, sort of dream that I would make um, like a Halloween costume or some sort of wearable art. But, you know, I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And here we are 13 years later, and I got 1,500 of these things, and I hadn't done anything yet. But this year, Netflix uh, was celebrating their 20th anniversary of that DVD subscription service. And so, like uh, Amanda said, I was... uh, they were asking for interesting subscriber stories, and I was like, "I'm an interesting subscriber." <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, and I emailed them back, like they asked, but I didn't hear from them, so uh, I gave them a month. 
And then I began photographing the envelope fronts and to just show the, the crazy amount of uh, envelope fronts that I had. And I began putting them on social media and I tagged them in that. And then immediately they contacted me and were like, what? <laughs> is, that, is, that how, is that how they answered the phone? You went hello and they went, what? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so did, they, did you end up using all of the slips for your dress? No, not even half. Oh, wow. Okay. But um, they asked me why I saved them, and I told them what I just said, and, and I always dreamed of making a piece of wearable art. And I happen to live in Akron, Ohio, which is a community next to the internationally renowned Kent State University School of Fashion. They've got a great fashion program. Um, I, I told uh, Netflix that I always sort of dreamed of, uh, you know, finding a, a fashion design student and and working with somebody that could make this, because I don't have the skills to make a dress. Um, even if I want to wear it, I, I don't know how to make it. They said, oh, we love this idea. Do it. Uh, and then we'll post the photographs on social media. So um, that's what I did. That was this spring. And uh, I negotiated a budget with them. They paid for my designer and the supplies for the dress. I ended up hearing from about 20 uh, designers. I interviewed 10 of them. And then I hired um, this girl who actually had already worked in uh, with non-traditional materials. She had worked with paper before and styrofoam. And she really impressed me as an ambitious um, person that was passionate about this project. And since I, you know, love Christmas entertainment, and this is what I write about, uh, we decided to take our inspiration from Rosemary Clooney's red dress. In, oh. That's the from the finale of the 1954 movie uh, White Christmas. And so uh, that's where we took our inspiration. And Alyssa, my designer, spent uh, all summer and part of the fall using those paper envelope fronts to create this paper dress. And uh, I've been to the Rosemary Clooney Museum down in uh, Augusta, Kentucky before. I love to travel and stop at pop culture destinations. I had been down there. I love it. I let them know about this dress project, and they invited me to come take the photographs uh, down there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. So yeah. we, <laughs> a big caravan of us, several vehicles, we all packed it up and uh, drove the five hours down south uh, beyond the Ohio River down into Kentucky to the museum. And so all those photographs that were online and on my website, uh, we're all then at the museum, uh, Rosemary Clooney House and Museum. It was her former residence that's since been turned into a museum, which is an awesome, fun place. And uh, I channeled my inner Rosemary Clooney and worked that paper dress as, <laughs> as much as I was able to. It's beautiful. You looked great in it. It's stunning. It's it was a stunning. lot of fun. You know, you're living my dream because I always said if I could ever do it, and I've never really had my own house, so I couldn't do it anyway, but if I could, I would get a room and I would hire somebody to come and recreate Bad Ronald's room with all the Atrana artwork on it, <laughs> and that would be like my big splurge on like something for myself, and so you kind of did that, you know what I mean, in, in a much less twisted, <laughs> I want to have the room where he kidnaps people. <laughs> Could you recreate that for me? And you're like, totally. No, I just want to have the dress of Rosemary Clooney wore white Christmas. It's totally different, but it's kind of the same thing. That's so neat. I'm, I was really excited yeah. for you when that happened. And it was, I think all the cool stuff happens to Joanna, though. Possibly. 
it's pretty it's pretty clear that that's that's <laughs> so but um thank you that's very kind of you to say thanks uh, it's true, and I love that you kept it on theme, too. I don't think I realized it was the dress from uh, White Christmas, which makes it even cooler, because you are so known for Christmas, and you're such a champion for, I think, a lot of specials that people think are, might be mundane. You know, like, that. The you're really into, like, um, what's the word I want to use? Like, when I say mass culture, it sounds really, like, low art, and I don't want to say low art, but, like, you embrace all these things and understand like sort of the mass appeal of a lot of these Christmas specials where I think sometimes uh, people in the film industry or not in the film industry, but who write about film and stuff often don't, they kind of discount these things. Yes. And, yes. and you just, every year you sit down you're like, what's on Hallmark? And you talk about all these like fabulous things that people are tuning into. And I think it builds a lot of a community between people. And, um, and that's so important right now when we're so in a divisive time, I think one of the few things that people can agree on is sort of this love of the holiday. And a lot of these films, I think, bring a lot of different types of people together. And, um, and so you do that so well, too. So I'm really glad you're here because you've got to help me understand Rich Little's Christmas Carol. Because, <laughs> okay, so like I saw this for the first yeah. time many years ago now I think I saw Rich Little's Robin Hood first and I remember watching that as a kid and being completely horrified by it I didn't like it um I don't really like things where it's just one person doing a bunch of different characters for some reason that like disturbs me and um <laughs> I don't know why and so then years later I saw the Rich Little Christmas Carol I'm pretty sure and I saw it because I used to do this thing called the made for tv mayhem minute for a podcast called movies about girls and I'll play that at the end I actually I have this segment where I had to re-record because I couldn't find the original segment, but I have the script. So I re-recorded it. And as I was re-recording it, I was thinking, wow, that was really mean. Um, I did not like it. I like it more now, but I think I was really thrown off by one, watching him do all those different characters by himself. I don't know why that bothers me, but it does. And also the Truman Capote moment mm. that, <laughs> that <laughs> we'll talk about quietly in hushed tones because it still really freaks me out. So... Um, <laughs> And maybe Joanna can help walk us through it. So let's just jump right in. Um, Dan, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about the special? Oh, sure. Uh, it is, well, it's basically, it's it's a Christmas carol. It's pretty faithful-ish to, to it. It's Scrooge and it's Bob Cratchit and it's Christmas and uh, all, all the stuff that happens in a Christmas carol and then the three ghosts, you know, and obviously you get uh, Jacob Marley shows up uh, and then, you know, I don't know if it's a spoiler, but, you know, Scrooge reforms in the end because he's a jerk. And But I, th I think the thing with this is I just want to give you, since we I think we all know the story, I just want to give you a rundown of who the, who the major impersonated characters are doing characters. Did that make sense? Yeah. So you have Rich Little. Now, Rich Little is most of these people. Rich Little as W.C. Fields, as Ebenezer Scrooge, and then Rich Little as Paul Lind, as Bob Cratchit. And then you get um, Rich Little as Richard Nixon, Jacob Marley, uh, Humphrey Bogart. I'm going to stop saying Rich Little. Humphrey Bogart as Ghost of Christmas Past. Uh, Peter Falk as a Ghost of Christmas Present. Now, actually, that's Peter Falk doing Columbo as a Ghost <laughs> of Christmas Present. And then Peter Sellers doing Inspector Clouseau as the Ghost of uh, Christmas Future, Christmas Yet to Come. And then you have, um, who else? Uh uh, Johnny Carson as uh, Fred, his um, his nephew, I believe, Ebenezer's nephew. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, Groucho Marx as Fezziwig. Uh, 
let's see, Jimmy Stewart is, uh, I believe it's Wilkin, Dick Wilkins, who is, um, was Scrooge's friend back in when he worked for Fezziwigs. Of course you have, uh, now, now in the beginning, it says like everyone's names, like WC Fields, Paul Lind, but instead of, uh, Gene Stapleton, it says Edith Bunker. So I'll just say Edith Bunker as Mrs. Cratchit. You know what? That reminds me of the Paul Lynn Christmas special because when they have that commercial, they're like, Tim Conway. Oh, and, on the Halloween special. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the Halloween special. They're like, Tim Conway. And um, I can't, oh, Cher, whoever else. Is, oh, Florence Anderson's in it. And Kiss. Oh, and Pinky Tuscadero. And we're like, yeah, that's Roz Kelly, guys. Yeah, it's Roz, Pinky Tuscadero, <laughs> Kelly. And that's always such a heartbreaker because by that point, she'd already been kicked off of Happy Days. So it was like, oh, gosh, you're, <laughs> you're oh, boy. Um, and then uh, 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 James Mason shows up. James Mason, George Burns, and John Wayne show up. Jack Benny shows up. Um, I think I got most of them. Oh, I didn't get one. Truman Capote shows up as Tiny Tim. I don't know if we want to start there. No, or, let's um, start. Let's work our way up to it because I'm still having triggers. Okay. So, so okay. So this is a really bizarre special that was produced in Canada um, by the CBC, and it actually won a huge award in Canada. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit in the trivia. Um, and then HBO picked it up. I have conflicting dates on that. I don't know if Joanna knows better, but I, so originally when I did my made for TV mayhem minute, I said it was released on HBO in 1982, but almost everybody else says it was 1979. And I think that's what IMDb says. Joanna, does any of that ring a bell to you? I have 82 as well. Oh, well, Hey, I got it. Okay. Um, cause I trust your, your facts over, um, the internet. I, I do remember watching it with my sister, although she claims not to remember. Yeah, I, that's hilarious. I don't think you're, yeah. either your sister blocked it out because it's so traumatic or yeah. you're lying. Yeah, because I, I mentioned it on Facebook. My sister and I used to watch this. Uh, we got uh, a, a cable in 82 and 82 to 84, I think. I remember watching that, Eminata's Jug Band Christmas, yep. the BC Christmas special, and the Red Skeleton, Freddy the Freeloader Christmas. Yes. They, would show, they would show those every December on HBO. And we looked forward to them. We had a great time watching them. And my sister uh, made me out to be an idiot on Facebook by claiming that she'd never heard of them. <laughs> well, she's much younger than you, isn't she? There's two years. Oh, My two other years. sister okay. is the younger one. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to say HBO went all out because that's a lot of Christmas specials for, uh, I guess, yeah. it would have been the fairly early days of a pay cable channel. And yeah. it's kind of neat that they did that. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty good. It was something we looked forward to because that was, I think they showed Emma Otter maybe once on the network or something like that. And then it went to mm. HBO. I could be lying. Yeah, I don't know Emmett Otter's uh, history, but a lot of we in the feedback people have mentioned that's because I think they saw this special and then the Emmett Otter one. I think a lot of people caught this on HBO and its original run there. Um, so it starts off pretty cute. Um, the set designs are really nice. Mm -hmm. um, they're really nice, uh, especially when they go to the Christmas yet to come. And they're in like the graveyard, and it's really eerie, and it's got this purple kind of sky, and mm -hmm. um, they spend a lot, and it's a big set, like you could see it goes way far back, and um, and there's some really beautiful stuff happening in it, and then Rich Little shows up, and <laughs> I don't and, know, and if 
it it freeze frames on him for about yeah. a minute. <laughs> a whole minute of just Rich yeah. Little. Ooh. Yeah, that's a lot of Rich for me. That's a lot. Um, and uh, and I can't remember exactly who starts it. If he comes out as W. C. Fields first as Scrooge, or if there's some there's some sort of um, narration or something. And uh, and then the hilarity starts because he shows up, and then Pauline shows up, and Pauline is uh, hilarious in his own weird way, and it's a pretty good Paul Pauline impression. Mm-hmm. Oh no! I I think having watched Paul in Hall- Halloween special quite a few times here, I think it, he doesn't l- sort of look anything like him. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. He wears a lot of wigs in this, and yeah. sometimes the wigs, and will come to one character in particular. When I was young, I didn't know who all these people were, and sometimes the wigs make me think he made me think he was someone else. So I th- this was one of those where. Just because I think they say Paul Lind at the beginning. I was like, okay, he's doing the Paul Lind, but the wig threw me off. Yeah, they're not the best wigs. I think mostly he does look okay. I think the Laurel and Hardy stuff, it's like he can do a pretty good Laurel. Yes. And not a very good Hardy. The the Hardy looks like uh, kind of a... An imper- uh, yeah, he looks like an impersonator doing Hardy, whereas his Laurel has some nice moments in it. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like you could only do one, and so, but he had to do both. Yes. yes. It's weird to me to think of Rich Little not being able to do an impression. By the way, like because because he really hones in on the ones that he's really good at. So to to have him like fail at one, although his yeah. Edith Bunker is really challenged. Um, so. <laughs> Anyway, so it, it, anyway, I, I'm gonna. I was gonna like start to break down the thing, but I really don't want to do it because it's too much. But so anyway, he goes and he's all Scroogey and uh, as W. C. Fields and blah blah blah, and then um, and then he gets uh, visited by the first ghost, and he goes to the past, and it's really lovely, and I think that's because there's um, people there. Yes. Although it's very me too. Does any did anybody get a uh, kind of weirded out? <laughs> <laughs> by the sexual aggression of some of the men in the <laughs> well yeah i think i think that's mr fezziwig slash groucho Marx for you i don't yes. know i think and i do love that someone actually wrote a song called it's a typical office party and one of the lines <laughs> is someone's running around pinching someone's fanny or someone like that Something and that's like the that. american fanny not the UK yeah oh yes fanny. yes let's get that straight um i for harpo being the one that chases the women yes. a little yes groucho but here groucho is chasing the women at the party yeah I was. It's a slightly strange Groucho because sometimes he's got it, but then halfway through that number, I close my eyes and listen to it, and sometimes it sounds like he's just shouting, and it doesn't sound like he's actually doing an impression. And I thought, well, Groucho had a little more to him than just I, I shouting. Kinda, I kind of wanted it to be Alan Alda. Oh, <laughs> that would have been fantastic. You know, like if he just took a break for a scene, and there's like Alan Alda's going to do it, because he's essentially... Groucho marks on Mash. True. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You and know. He does, so. Yeah, he does Groucho a number of times on Mash. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was my hope and dream. But I do think this is a lovely segment because I really like the music. Ebenezer, let, let me ask you something here. Don't you know it's better? It's better to give than to receive. Better to give. That's hard to believe. It's always nice. It's nice when you can lend a helping hand. Lend a helping hand? 
Up from where I stand, so it's nutty to me. It's always nice when you have more than plenty to hand out a 10 or 20. It will make you feel so good. Don't think it was. It's nice to help your brother. I wouldn't even help my mother. But giving can be more fun than you think. My friend, I think you better go and see a shrink. So if the whole episode had been this, I would have loved it. I really loved the musical stuff, and I'm not really sure why it's in like just this really contained segment mm-hmm. that starts like 20 minutes in. <laughs> It's just like, let's have two numbers and then not reference it ever again. I don't really know why they made that decision. That's right, because it starts off with a song, and then it feels like it's it's going to become a musical at times. But then they're kind of like, eh, forget about it. Just Rich is doing his Edith Bunker. Just let him go. Just let him go. Let him go. (laughs) Let him go. (laughs) No, really, guys, let him go. So, (laughs) And so anyway, he goes through all the trials and tribulations of stuff and so i don't really know where to go with this because the story's so well known and it's kind of with all you can really talk about are the impressions i mean that's mm-hmm. how i kind of feel about it do you guys feel like there's something you want to add to it well that this is one of the reasons what you're pointing out is actually one of the reasons why i like this version an awful lot is you know we're all familiar with this you know charles dickens a christmas carol um and oh you know, great, we've got another adaptation. But what I like about this one is, you know, it has more layers of with these cultural meanings, with these impressions. We've got a whole nother um, cast <laughs> of pop culture characters from the 20th century participating in this adaptation. And it, ke- it really holds my attention each time I watch it. And I have watched it a bunch of times. Um, and, and it keeps me laughing and it, it keeps me paying attention. And yet it's not so, for me, it's not so overwhelming that I lose the meaning of the original Dickens classic. I, it actually holds my attention so that I can get to the end and I can feel all the feels at the end when Scrooge eventually does have his, you know, transformation. And I love the weirdness and, and the, um, you know, of all the characters that he chooses to place in for all of these. I mean, Jacob Marley as a regretful Richard Nixon, I, I love that. He's not wrapped in chains like the original story. He's wrapped in audio tape. That's <laughs> I mean, right. This is great. Uh, this is great commentary. You know, who else is going to play Mrs. Cratchit except Edith Bunker? I mean, one of the most popular characters from the 1970s and most beloved as well. Um, I, I just love all the nuances and all the details and it, it holds my attention. I think, I think, so I was reading some of the reviews of it. I'm the only person I know who's not like super warm on this special. Like the only person. I, can't, I haven't been able to find a review that, that sides with me. And I respect that. And some of the reviews that I've read, one of the things I have to say is that all the reviews I've read have been really respectful. Because, you know, when you go on the internet and you read reviews of things that were made for TV, you're never quite sure what you're going to end up with. And um, a lot of people are really warm to this, so, uh, partially because I think they remembered watching it as a child. And I'm not saying just because of nostalgia but I think that has played a part. But also, I never really thought about the spoof angle of it, as you pointed out, Joanna, about having these current characters and sort of commenting on who they are to us in this cultural moment. And so, like, Paul Lind as Bob Cratchit is funny because it's so unexpected. You know what I mean? Like, that, you don't expect the sarcastic guy right. to be working for Scrooge. And he can kind of back to Scrooge in a way um, that I'm not used to. And it's 
and I like that. And so when I was reading one of the reviews, they were talking about it as a spoof. And I guess, you know, I hadn't approached it really in the, with maybe the proper mind frame um, when I was watching it. And, and looking at that review kind of helped sort of shape um, a better understanding of it. Uh, and so I think when you commented on it, it just solidified one of the things that I think people really enjoy about it. And that's because you're right, sitting in your um, living room, even by 1982, I'm, I guess Edith might have been dead by then on All in the Family. We were still super familiar with that character. I think uh, Archie Bunker's mm-hmm. Place was still on TV. So even, the, and even the Watergate had happened now a few years before. I mean, these were all still pretty current um, yes. in American culture. And so, and he did things, like you said, with the audio tape. And also something else that he did was that was really interesting, and I didn't pick this up till yesterday, was that all of the ghosts are, are detectives. And I'm not oh, sure yeah. what the meaning of that is. I never realized that. Yeah. I didn't either, but it's like, and I didn't, my husband pointed that out. I can't take credit for that. But it's really interesting to me, and I'm not sure why he did it that way but um but that's something kind of thought-provoking to me and so that makes me appreciate the fact that rich little wasn't just like pulling out like his roster of i can do this this and this um he's thinking about how these characters can best fit into the special he's not just cramming them in there i mean maybe james mason's getting crammed in there a little but like in <laughs> you know what i mean but in general i mean we're all like oh mandingo right are we all thinking mandingo <laughs> I was thinking on Murder by Decree, but that came out a year later. Oh, okay. So. Oh, I was thinking Mandingo. Um, and also that his son is married to Belinda Carlisle. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So <laughs> that's what I think of when I think of James Mason. And I had a boyfriend that did a fucking amazing James Mason impression. So um, better than Rich Little's, actually. And he used to page. We worked at a bookstore together, and he used to do the pages in James Mason's voice. And it was totally amazing, but um, and that's why I was able to re- figure out who that character was. But um, but anyway, so he so I agree with Joanna that he's doing these interesting, funny, um, thoughtful things with the characters, um, and and this this viewing of it made me appreciate it more. But let's get to the second um, Christmas present segment where um peter falk as colombo comes and it's not a great peter falk i have to admit um you know can i can i tell you who i thought it was supposed to be when i was a kid casey Kasem. no um i thought he was because one of my favorite movies uh, still a movie i enjoyed out was it's a mad 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 world yes and i thought he was doing the character of sylvester dick sean's character (laughs) Uh, the the sort of the hip guy who's always dancing around yes because the wig is like that and i don't remember if the sylvester character had an earring but i feel uh, and i still didn't look it up today but there's a point where when peter falk well i noticed too they are all detectives but technically like humphrey bogart is humphrey bogart Whereas the yeah. other two are kind of Columbo. He's not Sam Spade. He's kind Correct. of Humphrey Bogart. Um, whereas the other two are uh, by their uh, detective names. But there, there's a point when Peter Falk first appears and he's in the light of the bedsheet or the, the, the hanging curtain-y thing. And he's doing his thing. And when I was – I didn't know who, who Columbo was when I was nine and I first saw this. So I thought, oh, that's Dick Sean from The Wig. There's a little bit of light on his ear, his left ear. And I kept thinking it was like an earring. And I thought, oh, he's kind of like doing this hip uh, diction. But, but then why is he in that outfit? And what's with the one more thing? Although I do, I will be honest, I laughed out loud today when he 
did his Columbo thing and said, can I just try out the bed? And Scrooge kind of gets up out of the bed and you just have him lying in the bed. This is very comfortable. This is yes. very nice. I did yeah. laugh out of that. He, did, he does have moments where he captures the characters. I, I, I think of all of them, I kind of like the Paul Lind one the best because mm. I think it's pretty on point. And yeah. also I like the idea of that character being played by somebody who looks like they're just seething with anger underneath, you know, because yes. yeah. <laughs> I just need that in my life right now. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, anyway... Uh, they go to the Christmas present and they're at Bob Cratchit's and and Scrooge is watching everything unfold and then there's just this one moment that happens. Oh, we haven't said grace yet. Tim, would you stand and say grace? I am standing. God bless us, everyone. Now, is it just me or is that droopy dog? <laughs> it does sound like droopy doesn't it it does. it does so just to set the scene well first of all there's some really cute moments in this so they're super poor that when they pass the soup around they use a paintbrush so that they can paint a little <laughs> bit of soup into the wall which is funny and so you guys are going to make me like this it's one of those shows I'm actually enjoying really talking about it because um, there's moments that I think are really cute but what's so weird is when they bring Tiny Tim and it's a little boy dressed up like yes. Truman Capote and it's so fucking weird guys it's I don't know what I'm looking at. I yeah. don't know what I'm looking at. Because then, <laughs> the, yeah, then when it cuts to the close up, I thought it was well, I think when I was a kid, I thought from like Muppet stuff, I thought it was it was it Andy Williams? No, not Andy Paul Williams. Williams. Paul Williams. Paul, Some, I'm sorry, Paul Andy Williams. Somebody Paul told me Williams. somebody told me they thought it was Elton John. Oh, okay. <laughs> but and I, th- I was old enough at the time when I first watched it or remember first watching it seven years ago that I totally understood it was Truman Capote, but it really blew my mind. It blew my mind. It, it's like I had to stop watching it and take a walk. Is it going off of? Uh, well, I, I like Murder by Death, which which had just come out like two years before, which it, featured him in his strange performance. It must have been because that's what I knew him from. I didn't even oh. really know him as an author. Well, I mean, I saw this as an adult, so I knew him as ev- everything that he was. But I guess as a kid, I would have. I only knew Truman Capote as that character in Murder by Death. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea who he was. I didn't know he wrote in Cold Blood. You know. How was I supposed to know that? I was too busy was watching Peter Falk be amazing in that movie. <laughs> Peter Falk acts with his back in that movie. Okay? Yes. yes. Let's keep that in mind. Um, he's that fucking brilliant all the time. He is. So anyway, anyway, so this, and also the Edith Bunker thing is really, it's just not the best impression. Mm. And it's weird. And so yeah. of all the segments, this is the one that I kind of both look forward to the most and ter- am terrified most uh-huh. of. Like an, like an episode of the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, every single moment. You're yeah. never quite sure what's going to happen. Yes, yeah. Yeah, what it does to your brain, like those connectors, all of a sudden <laughs> stop working. And then they reconnect in a different way. It's like an acid flashback. I mean, I'm not going to mm-hmm. kid you. It's not that I've ever had one of those, but like as they, as they describe them, as the kids have told me. Edith Bunker married to Paul Lind and Truman Capote is their youngest <laughs> child. There you go. Oh my Merry God. Christmas. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Joanna, what do you think of this segment? <laughs> okay. This is hilarious. <laughs> Hearing you talk about how frightened you are and how weird <laughs> you are by the Truman Capote reference, this scene is actually my favorite. <laughs> 
fire special. And I remember when I first saw it, I just screamed um, like, this is awesome. Um, I'm a huge Truman Capote fan. Mm. I um, didn't realize he's in, you know, the movies and every, I know him first as a writer, oh. huge mm -hmm. fan. He has two um, Christmas short stories that I love, love, love. And um, I love reading Truman Capote because you can just hear his voice. He's, um, I, I think it's hilarious that Rich Little, you know, chose that character for Tiny Tim because yes. everybody, everybody knows that Truman Capote is short in stature. So it's kind of, you know, it's a short joke. But um, it's also just an over, another over-the-top impression that he can do, and one that's a little more obscure than some of these others um, that will tickle certain people's, you know, uh, bones. And, and it certainly tickles me. I love Truman Capote, and uh, and it always reminds me that you know several or you know both of Truman Capote's Christmas short stories have been turned into other TV movies and or uh, TV episodes. And I just love, I love thinking and reading and talking about Truman Capote at, the, at Christmas. And Rich Little's Christmas Carol gives me another opportunity to do that. Wow. Well, yeah, um, he's great. I like Truman Capote. But, like, when I was watching Murder by Death, when I was, oh, God, I was so young the first time I saw that movie. Like, I was underage. I didn't understand it at all. I was, like, nine. <laughs> and he terrified me. He, I mean, there's a lots of things about Murder by Death that scared me. I didn't understand it. Like, you know, the end when he's taking off all the masks? Yes. Yeah, that really upset me. Um, and, like, and there's just a lot in that. And so, but th that was my exposure to him. And he was just kind of the scary guy. I just couldn't wrap my brain around who he was or, but you know what? That whole movie scared me. It was like a horror movie the first time I saw it. And I loved it. Well, it's semi-close to being that. I mean, it's so wonderfully kind of incoherent-ish, and, and there's crazy stuff happening. It's an old dark house. and uh, yeah. Well, it's kind of like they're going to crush those people in the room. I mean, I know we're getting off yeah. topic here, but because I love Murder by Death so much. But and it's I think interesting. I, I, it just came out on Blu-ray. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It's interesting to me to think about Peter Falk and Truman Capote in this special because they appeared in that <laughs> movie together, and I hadn't really yeah. thought about that before. And that, So it's too bad they don't have an Eileen Brennan showing up. Oh, could you yeah. imagine Rich oh, Little's Oh, and Peter friend? Sellers. Yes. He's oh, in Murder by Death. Wow, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay, so anyway, so this segment, you're either going to love it or it's going to send you to the psychiatrist is what I'm saying. So <laughs> anyway, so he goes through all that and, and it's it's got its moments. And, um, and then they go to the Christmas yet to come, which is probably my favorite segment because I really like the sets. Uh, very much. I think they're beautifully done. Um, and Clouseau shows up. And the thing about this scene that I think is really well, this will show you where my brine, my brain, my brine, my brain starts to. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't even use the proper word. It starts to split into two. And I want to say bifurcate. Bifurcate. Yes, yeah, bifurcate. I knew I knew I was going to get the word out right. <laughs> so here's where here's where I become like separate brains. So like he comes to visit uh, Scrooge, Inspector Clouseau, and he's and it's a very Inspector Clouseau moment. He ends up lighting the uh, curtain that hangs over the bed on fire uh -huh. while he's talking. And it's a very brave moment for Rich Little because he's very close yes. to a fire that's going, I mean, that's getting big. It, at the end of it, it, it like literally, it, it looks like it's like two inches from his face, actual fire. I mean, that's an impression that is, yeah, that was, that's what Clouseau would have done. Yeah. Yes. And it's very much in the character. And I really appreciate that. But when I'm thinking, when I'm watching it, I start thinking, 
What is the other actor thinking in the bed? How close is he to the fire? It's the same guy, but he's not there yet because they haven't shot that scene or they already shot it. And he's just, you know what I mean? So I start thinking of him as different people. I think that's why I don't like to watch these things because I can't keep up with the fact that it's one person. It just, I can't do it. My brain can't soak in everything. So anyway, so he does a very cluesome thing where he lights the bed sort of on fire and then he takes him to Mm -hmm. this thing. And then there's these um, three really disparate characters hanging out. <laughs> I don't believe it. He finally passed on, did he? Well, it's about time his liver's been dead for years. <laughs> well, I'm told they're gonna bury him face down. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's just so he can see where he's going. <laughs> I don't know why they don't wet the ground and let him seep in. Well, that wouldn't work unless they first soaked the ground with booze. <laughs> well, listen, do you think he'll take his money with him? Well, he might if he can find an asbestos suitcase. Yeah, so that's John Wayne, George Burns, and James Mason. And I'm, I hate to say it, but I don't really know how many people now would have a frame of reference for James Mason at all. Yeah. Unless they've seen Mandingo. Sure. Yeah, I, I feel like there's something, something folks would know him from, but I'm, I'm not sure. Well, he's the wizard of Pardon me? A Star is Born? Well, yeah, he's in a lot of... I mean, mm. he's famous. It's just, I feel like the classic film referencing doesn't work so much on younger audiences anymore like it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess we could show this to somebody who's 20 and ask them if they knew who that was. But I think the other two seem more distinguishable. But that might just be my own frame of reference. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't think anybody 20 years old is going to recognize anyone in this i mean like zero they're not going to get w seal fields they're not going to get johnny carson they're not going to get richard nixon you know what i mean oh like, they're going to get paul lind <laughs> they better get paul they lind. better they're who would not know who paul you're you can't you can't come into this earth without knowing who paul lind is uh-huh. <laughs> that's kind of a rule isn't it? Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's just it's just James Mason seems to me of everybody in it like the most obscure, but that might just be my own. Background. He is you're, you're right. He's he's very obscure, but this is really 20th century. Um yeah. This this is not going to have a long shelf life in the 21st century. Yeah. This now. It is that moment, I guess. If you, if you, if you, if you're introducing it to someone who's 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 twenty, cold, they're probably just going to go, huh? But if you give them maybe a frame of reference, someone might be able to figure something yeah, out. I, James you know, Mason, though, I don't think I got. Yeah, James was Mason was the one I struggle with. But like, I feel like I feel like I want to. Sh- so I have a friend who's like 25 years old, and we went to college together when I went back to school a few years ago, and we just kind of reconnected. And she has a frame of reference for a lot of stuff because her parents showed her everything. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can talk to her about just almost anything from my childhood. And she has some frame of reference for it because her parents are the same age as me. You know, they're a little older, but not by much. And so, um, so I, I might be selling this short. I think Joanna's right. I think most kids won't, but I do think that there are some probably kind of savvy young people that might get it. I don't know. The, um, the laugh track though, does it no favors. And I know young people on laugh tracks are not gonna. Are, are troublesome. Yeah. 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 Because they just, they, they're already distracting. They were distracting in the seventies. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think the thing I noticed or I felt this time when I, cause I haven't watched this in years after uh, over the past few years, I have watched a bunch of seventies variety shows 
and this feels sort of has a 70 variety show feel yeah. in parts of it and yeah. even the even to the point where when i saw the writer's credit it says written by rich little and i kept expecting to see a, a thing like additional material bruce valanche but it <laughs> it didn't show up and i thought rich little did that all himself because there are some lines in there where i thought oh that's a valanche that's an avalanche is what that is. But no, that's an avalanche of comedy. Well, no, that's a avalanche uh, joke. That's, that is a avalanche <laughs> joke. That really is. Do you know, but, but, I was in New York, I don't know, a few years ago, and I was walking down the street and Bruce Valanche walked by me. And it was so surreal because it was, I, I lived in LA and famous people walked by me all the time. I stood next to Leonardo DiCaprio and fucking, I can't even think of the guy's name now, Angelina Jolie's dad, I can't believe I can't remember his name, I stood next to him, John Voight, at an yeah. award show, but Bruce Valanche walks by, and I'm like, I can't function. <laughs> it was so weird, it was just weird, anyway, go ahead, this just made me remember oh, that. Yeah, because th- this definitely has a, um, a 70, something I would never have thought of when I was a kid, even though I... I probably watched a ton of those. This felt very different to me when I was a kid because I, I did like Rich Little and I liked the Christmas Carol variation and it did make me laugh. Um, not as much as the laugh track insisted I should laugh. I think no. the, thing I, uh, the, the thing I loved about it, this I, I, can I just say, um, the thing that's fun about his Inspector Clouseau impersonation is it, you know, Peter Sellers, Inspector Clouseau is Peter Sellers doing a bad Frenchman impersonation. So Rich Little doing Inspector Clouseau doing Peter Sellers is him doing an actor's impersonation of a bad Frenchman impersonation. <laughs> so yeah, so it, you really you you really can't go wrong. He, he and he did uh, good though because you know when he they're at the grave and he falls into the oh, grave. That's hilarious. Like, it's that's such so a moment, that. right? That Inspector Clouseau would have done because he keeps going. And, because, and yes, and yeah. it was, so it was very much like like on point uh, he did a really they, good job with that they, they do it nice because because there's a bit where he like tackles a hat stand which is amusing oh that's right but it's it's a little too bright so you can it's not quite as funny as like if it was a little darker and you lost him in shadows and wondered what he was doing right but this scene, he he's like knelt down, he, he's sitting um sort of with a one leg up on his knee one foot up on his knee by the grave and he begins to lean back and then he just real you realize that the mist behind him is filling an empty grave and he falls right into it and it's really lovely although it does cut away and i think maybe they cut to a stuntman but it's still funny yeah, I, I think and, it's one of the better moments in the film yeah. because it's it's pretty much like watching Clouseau. Yeah, it's and and so I do like his Clouseau very much. I mean, his his Bogart was fine, um, uh, and the Peter Falk, like I said, when he goes in the bed, I love it. But the rest of it was was just uh, was just okay. But the Clouseau, I think he does a nice job. And there's that thing where it is the 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 future one, and you know you're going to see the grave. And um, and there's always something a little a little uh, frisson in that, or fi- fr- not fission, frisson, frisson. But okay, so wait, I just uh, want to backtrack for a second, Joanna. How old were you when you started reading Truma Capote? Um, <laughs> you know, like in my thirties, not not young. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, I I read In Cold Blood um, when I was probably twenty two. But you were talking about how when you did you watch this? Did you see the special when you were a kid? No, I didn't. Oh, see okay. I was wishing he was a little kid, like being this Truman Capote file, and like, hey, ma, check this out. <laughs> yeah, like that's what I was. So, okay, so when you told me that you were so excited about seeing Truman Capote, I was like, wow, 
what a well-read kid Joanna was. And I was, I, was I was curious, like, if you were reading In Cold Blood at, like, nine years old, and I was, like, super impressed. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> 22 is pretty good, though, I'll admit, because although somebody gave me In Cold Blood when I was a teenager, but it wasn't until I was older that I could really, like, grasp reading things like that. But um, but one of my teachers, actually, when I was 20, when I was a teenager, was like, I think you'll like this book, Amanda. And, um, and they gave me a copy of it. But um, anyway... Um, not to get off topic. So he does the whatever and he has his epiphany. He does his whatever. I'm doing such a great <laughs> thing. And he has his epiphany. And then he wakes up and it's morning and he's super happy and he's decided he's had a change of ways. And then um, Benny Youngman is right the downstairs as a little boy. Oh, Jack Benny. Jack Benny. Did I say Benny Youngman? You yeah. said ben, Benny Youngman, yeah. I almost said Henny Youngman, and I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Can somebody else take over? Cause <laughs> oh, sure. Do you I'm getting all the names wrong. Go ahead, Dan. Okay. Uh, he, yeah, the, the, the kid who's at who's down there who, why it's Christmas Day, is uh, Jack Benny playing the violin badly. And he does a lot of, well, kind of things, the Jack Benny stuff and uh, the long pauses. And he's, it's a decent Jack Benny. I, I think it I is. knew who Jack Benny was. Isn't, isn't uh, Henny Youngman in The Gorgor Girls? Yeah, Henny Youngman, I think, is the comedian or something in The Gorgor yeah, Girls. Yeah, that's when what that I was thinking of. Smashing, smashing melons on the bar. Yeah. Um, uh, just, just to, not to get off topic, but the best part of Gorgo Girls. I don't know what I'm doing right now, guys. Just you know, and I'm not. Oh, even that's drinking. okay. It's Christmas. But, <laughs> Christmas the best part of the Gorgo Girls is when the guy who stars in who looks like Sydney from Mash asks yes. the bartender who is the guy who would go on to play Montag in uh, Wizard of Gore if uh-huh. he would. Um, look, take a break from because he's a bartender ray sager's character plays a bartender and he's like would you take a break while i ask you a couple questions and so he yells across to the other bar hand and he goes hey i gotta go take a shit <laughs> and then he goes and sits and talks to this guy and i just think that's so funny because he yelled it across the bar and that's he didn't good. have to take a shit <laughs> that's that's hg lewis at the end of his filmmaking there just not caring and just it's, so good good. it's so it's good it's so good okay so i'm sorry so when, when i said um, when i was thinking Henny Youngman, i was just thinking of the gorgor girls and yes I'm sorry. I, I think we all do okay, so yeah so, so it's, it's jack benny and he uh you know he throws him the money and he goes off and he gets the whatever it is and so well, it's never really referenced again the does he send him to get a turn yeah he but does it's never, it's never he, really referenced again in it but just so we can do the Jack Benny. Yeah. Which is one of his it's, best impressions impressions. Isn't he famous for doing that? I I don't know. Is he? He could I feel be, like, he probably is. I feel like that was one of his breakout impressions. Oh, that could have been. Yeah, it's it, it is quite good. Yeah, it is it is very Jack Benny E. I closed my eyes and I could I could hear Jack Benny from the radio. So from the radio, the wireless. And, uh, yeah, and, and then you get the big, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, there's, I, I believe the song is playing. This is, is this be the Merry Christmas yet playing? I think yeah, yeah, yeah. when he's just wandering through the street and he's got all the gifts and he does that great thing I love where, you know, they show someone step out of a, a department store or, or it's not a department store. It's 1880 or whatever it is. Um, but uh, he steps out with all these gifts and they're all wrapped and he walks up to people and he kind of like points at a gift and they take it and go, thank you. And I thought you picked that one right for you knew that was for them. Awesome. That's so cool. I hope that is for them. And they wander around with the gifts and they, you know, he has kids carry the gifts and he's just having a great time. And then it all ends. Yeah. The next morning where he surprises um, Bob and gives him a raise and, and says he's going to be an equal partner. They, th- their job is boat and bottle. That's right. And oh, we forgot to Bob, mention that. Bob makes the boats 
and uh, Scrooge empties the bottle. Since it's W.C. Fields, most of there are a lot of booze-related jokes. I think I heard more booze-related jokes in this 50-minute special at the age of nine than I'd heard in my entire life up to this point. Well, it did. <laughs> That's how, that's how they get to the ending that they get to, though. Um, yes, with the one special. Because yeah, he has to give up drinking. That's part of one of the promises he makes. And then he's he, that's the one thing he has the hardest time doing. And so he's like, well, yeah, whatever. And so then, but then what's so funny is he's like, hey, Bob Cratchit, I'm going to make you a full partner. But... I'm not going to make any more bottles for you to put the boats. And he basically is going to put them out of business after he makes yes. no partner. And then, and then he's like, well, I've got this guy coming and I think he'll be able to do the job. And then it's like, knock, knock, knock. Who's there? Hey, everybody. And it's Dean Martin. Yeah, oh my God. I thought that was Dean Martin on the podcast for just a few seconds. <laughs> it was you, so good, wasn't it? I wasn't even. <laughs> Everybody loves somebody sometimes. <laughs> I wasn't even trying to do a Dean Martin, which is apparent to everybody else listening, and your sarcasm is duly noted. But <laughs> but it made me laugh. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. He's a, it's the best I can do of doing a drunk. But so it ends on that really fabulous Dean Martin, who we don't even see because he's behind the door, which is great because I don't want to see Rich Little as Dean Martin. Yeah, probably not. I don't know what that's going to look like. Overly tan. You know what? It does occur to me that it is interesting that the the ghosts demand that in order for him to not end up in that graveyard and hate it, he has to give up drinking. And yet his business, which he's supposed to incorporate with Bob, involves him drinking on his side of the business. I guess he could just empty the bottles out. But isn't that wasteful? It is wasteful. Okay. It is. Yeah. It, it was kind of a funny little <laughs> I don't know if it's an oversight yeah. or whatever, but I was like, wow, you finally made him a partner. Now you guys are going to go out of business. That's yes, great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, because he, yeah, he said there is a moment where he says, and I forgot, where he's like, well, oh, that's right. I gave up drinking. Well, Bob, we might be out of business. Oh, well, that's great. That's great. So what happened? So you are going to end up poor, destitute, and in that graveyard, but with a smaller headstone, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and then it ended, and that was it. I went and finished my coffee. <laughs> and I thought about it for a little while, and I thought, I liked it better this time. I just, I have a real thing about, so like, I couldn't remember the name of the special, but uh, it's not a special, it's a movie. You know the clumps, that Eddie Murphy thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Nutty Professor 2. I can't do that. Mm. I can't, the only time I can do it, it turns out, is flow from Progressive. You know those Progressive ads? Yes. Where she yeah. does her entire family. I love when Flo does her whole family. But otherwise, I don't want to have anything to do with one person doing 30 different characters. It makes it feel... Okay, so it's going to reveal a lot about myself. It, it, it makes me feel lonely. It makes me feel huh. like it's just one person. And because you don't see anybody else. Like, I think this is from when I was little. Um, and you just... This is where it gets really heartbreaking, guys, because I was a latchkey kid, and I had brothers and sisters, but I didn't grow up with them. They lived with their father, and um, I was basically an only child, and maybe that's what it stems from. Because So something my husband pointed out the other day that's really interesting is that I love shows with big families. So like The Waltons and Eight is Enough are like two of my all-time favorite shows, and I had never thought about it before, but I think because I didn't really have a family, even though I had a big family – there's like this thing inside me. So this is my therapy session, guys. And so, oh, please. 
And so when Are I watch... Are you laying, lying down right now? No, but I need to. And I don't know if I'm going to edit this out or not, but I'm just going to go for it. So, Please. So I think when I was a little kid, because I spent a lot of time by myself, and I do really like being alone, um, but I think as a kid when I would watch these specials, the idea of just one person like doing their scene by themselves and then going over and then doing the other part of the scene by themselves, it just disturbed me. I didn't like it. And so when I saw Robin Hood, um, which I only vaguely remember now, I really hated it. It upset me. And so I think when I watch these specials, it's hard for me to like accept that there is goodwill intended and they're not trying to make me slip my wrists. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a really weird episode, guys. I'm sorry. Huh. Oh no, I, I, um, it's funny. I, I really like when they do all the, uh, one person does all the different things. I kind of, I don't know why that is. I don't know. It's not an auteur kind of thing, but I kind of like the um, hard work that I know goes into it, even yeah. when it doesn't always come out. Sure. Off. Yeah. And, I, and although I do like shows with, yeah, I, 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 I do enjoy it is enough. But I always say like when I was. Well, even now, like when I was growing up, my family love I've said this before, my family loves Star Trek, which has a decently sized cast, but I was the Doctor Who guy, which generally has, depending upon when you're watching, a regular cast of like one to four people. Yeah. You know, and and I always preferred um uh, and and so having one person do almost everything to me was you know I, what do you what do you do? have you ever been to like a one man or a one woman show do you start hyperventilating no I really like one woman shows but you're onto something because I love soap operas and soap operas have large casts sure sure you know what I mean and I love community and stuff and so when I see it shaved down like that I don't know but one woman shows are so I've been to B Arthur's one woman show I've been to William Shatner's one man show nice. and I've been to Charles Nelson Riley's one man show and all of those are excellent. Excellent. Um, B. Arthur being my favorite. Uh, and those don't bother me because they're not doing just a bunch of impressions. Okay. There's, like, I can watch Stephen Tobolowsky. Mm. Like, have you ever seen that film he makes where he just tells stories? Yes. That's incredible. Yes. That's incredible. That I can watch. But when, but when they're interacting with themselves... <laughs> that's really weird. Okay. I can't yeah. do it. But but when it's just one person, yeah, I can watch like a one man show easily. I really like those. But um, but there's just something about the aesthetic of it that just really it bothers me. I think I I'm. Know. I think I'm with Dan. I I've always just sort of taken it as an expression of um, Rich Little's immense talent that he can do so much and he's going to show it off. Uh, how many different voices, how many different characters he can do. And, and I'm impressed and I enjoy that entertainment. I, uh, I'm also used to impressionists. I don't find that uh, unusual. I grew up, you know, watching, you know, Johnny Carson and other talk shows and, and other variety shows where I would regularly see impressionists. So I sort of grew up, you know, it was very normal to see Rich Little pop up in all kinds of um, situations and act out several characters and you know John Biner did that and Frank oh, I love John Biner yeah I love John yeah. Biner and yeah. David Fry uh, and I've I, this was very normal to see you know impressionists um, doing their shtick um, I, I always enjoyed it so basically I'm psychotic no, we'll talk you through it, Doctor Wilson. Um, could you <laughs> could you help the patient, please? I, yeah. I I I think I think it would have bothered me if they had somehow superimposed Rich Little's face on all the extras who weren't him. Yeah, that I got. I but, found comfort with the extras. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, but, but I, I really I, like that. 
I think that I think the fact that yeah, there are um, there are people in the world that don't look like Rich Little means it isn't a Rich Little world. It's just he is. <laughs> they're, they're You're on fire tonight, like, Dan. Okay, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying, but it's um, it's I forget what I was saying. It's there. not a but rich yeah, little world. I mean, could you imagine a, if it was a rich little world? What that would oh look God. like? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want that for anybody. Well, I think Amanda, you're entitled to your reaction, as everybody is entitled to any of their reactions to you know this sort of entertainment. It's um, that's just the way it is, you know. That's fine. Yeah. Well, it, it is. It is a personal thing, and I, and I realized when I was watching this that I was probably going to be the odd man out, and I'm fine with that too. I mean, it is what it is, but like. I don't hate it and I wouldn't never tell anybody not to watch it. And I'm glad that people enjoy it. Cause I hate, I hate picking things and then having people be like, Oh, that's shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I want people to like things. And so even if I don't like them, cause I don't want anybody to waste their time watching them. And, mm-hmm. and um, it does have a festive spirit to it. And it is a great story. Um, watching these kinds of Christmas Carol adaptations always makes me want to watch the George C. Scott. Oh, one, yes. Because that's yeah. probably my favorite. Um, and I might be odd man out on that one, too. But um, I grew up kind of on that one. And um, that's the one I've seen the most, anyway. And also Ebby with uh, Susan Lucci. <laughs> <laughs> which, which we might cover soon because that one's really good, too. But um, anyway, so I'm I'm just pleased that people enjoyed it. Uh, that's the better. That's the best part of it, you know. And, and I'll watch it every year if... I thought I had to talk about it and I would be open to other people telling me why they liked it, you know. I do realize that this one of the things every once in a while I'll I'll watch a show when I was young and it will mention something, a food or drink that I need to enjoy um after watching it. There I watched an episode of Green Acres the other day where uh Ralph Monroe moves in with Oliver and Lisa and becomes their maid and she's a great cook. And Oliver asks her with great delight, can you make lobster Newberg? I didn't know what lobster Newberg was. I was 10, but I demanded my mother make lobster Newberg. And it was fantastic. I still don't know what it is. It's some kind of almost stew, like with lobster That's in it. That's so nice. She did that for you. Yeah, and it was delicious. This one, for whatever reason, I think I just wanted to see what it, I think it was buttermilk. Oh, yeah, that's right. He has a big glass. Because there's also a Batman episode where Batman takes some kind of poison or something. And before he takes it, uh, before he knows someone's going to give it to him, he drinks like six glasses of buttermilk. I was like, what? I I didn't know what buttermilk was. And I think I may have said, Mom, could you buy some buttermilk? She did. And I wasn't as thrilled as I was with the Lobster Newberg. I remember drinking buttermilk. And I can't remember what I thought of it, but I probably hated it. Yeah. Yeah, but this is because I just I have it playing here, and he just drank buttermilk for the first time, possibly. And I thought, oh, I remember that because I remember saying, "Ma, I want to try buttermilk." And she's like, "Dan, this ain't like the Newberg. Leave it alone." And I was like, "Mom, buttermilk." Jeez, I was a jerk. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, I just want to briefly. Okay, so let's do the the background, and then I want to talk about a 
a Scrooge, a sort of take on Scrooge that I just saw recently that I didn't even think about till we were talking about this. So if you have any trivia, Joanna, I'll have you pipe in after. I don't have much. I actually have a lot at the end of this with my Made for TV Mayhem segment that I'll have at the end. And Joanna may say some of that. She may use some of that. I don't know what trivia is. But anyway, so this aired uh, in December of 1982 on HBO, uh, although I believe it originally aired in Canada in 1978, but that might have been 79. I can't remember now what I saw there. Uh, it aired on HBO. I don't. I couldn't find an exact air date, so I just saw December of 82. It was directed by someone named Trevor Evans, who I think also did the Robin Hood special, and who I think is now working as a director in the UK, mostly on commercials and documentaries for something called Watertight Productions. Um, Variety enjoyed um, this Rich Little Christmas Carol. They called it an easy-to-watch diversion. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it was produced by um, Canada's channel, the CBC. This was actually kind of a spinoff from a, a record that Rich Little made in 1963 called Scrooge and the Stars, uh, which where he did impressions ranging from uh, John F. Kennedy to Hitchcock. What I think is so interesting about this, and I listened to it yesterday while I was coming up with my trivia, um, so I only kind of listened to it, and I posted it. If you're on our social media, I posted a link. Somebody recorded the LP and put it on YouTube. What I think is so interesting about it is that it came out in 1963, which is the year that Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious as to oh, what yeah. that would have been like to listen to after the fact because he pro I'm sure he recorded it before JFK was assassinated yeah. but that was in November right and then November Christmas November 22nd was, yeah. yeah and then yeah. Christmas is just a month away so people were probably picking up the record you know wow yeah and, and what that must have been like um, to listen to that so I thought that that was really interesting I think JFK actually plays one of the ghosts Oh. which is in and of itself kind of interesting. So, yeah. um, but anyway, if anybody wants to listen to that, um, I have a link to it, or you can just go on YouTube and look up uh, Scrooge and the Stars, and you'll find it. Um, now, you said you saw Rich Little get a writing credit. I saw on IMDb that they gave the sole writing credit to Charles Dickens. Oh. <laughs> which well, I thought was the, interesting. One of the things I love about, the, the, the I did really love about the special, is that in and amongst all the jokes, many of which are related to the specific impersonations and characters, is every once in a while they'll slip in a little, you know, like, how was Tiny Tim? He was as good as gold. Yes. And they'll slip in the, those little lovely mo And, like, when the spirits show up and are talking to him, they'll speak the actual dialogue from the... Not, yeah, dialogue from the book, which is actually quite lovely, because you forget how, how lovely the actual original Dickens oh, story was. Oh, it's beautiful, was. yeah. And yeah. you can, you can yeah. piece out where those are and they're really good so that's what I think is so interesting so we, to give Dickens the credit here Dickens stuff does appear but it's clearly another writer as well yeah yeah you know and and it creates sort of a meta moment I think in a weird way and and if and if Rich Little did I mean whether or not you you like the jokes or not and I think quite a few of them work some of them are you know it's 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 a decent average I think of, of yeah of I'd agree humorous jokes um but yeah like I said I was very surprised that it's just credited to him because I think it's it's it feels more like something that would have had three or four, even five or six writers putting it together. But if yeah. it was just him, well done, Rich. Well done. Yeah, that's interesting that IMDb has just Charles Dickens as the sole writer. I don't I don't understand. Maybe the maybe the, the Dickens estate went after IMDb. Well, maybe yeah, maybe Dickens sued the Writers Guild. Oh my gosh. Yeah, think? that was intense, guys, when he did that. Um, <laughs> you know what would have been great if the special ended with, like, right after the credits, suddenly he does a Dickens impersonation with, like, the big beard and everything like that? Oh, what a missed opportunity. 
Yeah, well. Yeah, well, there you go. So, (laughs) the special effects, uh, and I only mentioned this because I thought it was kind of interesting. The special effects were done by somebody named John Sleep. And John Sleep would go on to do, like, hardcore special effects in movies like Alien vs. Predator or Mission to Mars. So, like, when Jacob Marley first shows up on the doorknob there and everything... Uh, little same alien guy. predator. Yeah, same guy, same guy. So I just thought that was kind of cool. So there's a magazine uh, from London called The Stage and Television Today, and they gave the special a bad review, um, and they actually got a piece of mail about it. Um, oh. Yeah, in their next issue, somebody wrote to them and told them that they were crazy in the cabeza and that they gave that they should not have given it a bad review. So I tried to back into the review itself because I could only back into the letter at first. And mm-hmm. if if the review I read wasn't that bad. So I was really surprised that this person sent such a passionate response to it. But they, uh, they apparently said that they felt that the script could have been tighter and that they would have liked more original music, which is something I think... I would have liked myself. I think we talked about the musical aspects being pretty lovely. And as I said earlier, it won the Golden Rose of Montreux or the Rose Dior, which is from an international film festival. And so Rich Little's Christmas Carol won 10,000 francs in a trophy. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And um, in French Canada, because those guys are crazy. Wow. Wow. You know, I was thinking uh, about that, 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 person and the the bad badish review i was thinking don't f with rich little fans they're friggin nuts they are <laughs> you even your dog is thinking about it right oh, whose boy. dog is that oh oh no that's uh my uh, i'm sorry i uh my brother just came home and my dog just our dog family dog just ran out barking there you go so uh, i thought Christmas, it was, he was our ups- dog molly Christmas I thought dog. he was upset about my thoughts of Rich Little. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Joanna, do you, do you know anything else about this special? Oh, I think you covered it. Oh, wow. I actually have more trivia um, at the end. Um, so apparently when I when I re- so when I studied these made for TV Mayhem minutes and I'm going to do more of them um, throughout this year. I'm going to do a couple more specials. I did a mini like a year ago, right? piece together a bunch of old segments but um i did a lot of research and what's funny is i couldn't find that much this time so when i dug up the script for the made for tv mayhem minute i was really surprised i was like whoa look at all these factoids so there'll be more factoids at the end of this episode if anybody wants to listen in um so uh just real briefly before we get to the feedback there's a couple things i want to do i forgot to have us talk about what we thought the weirdest christmas special was or is because we have a listener who asked us that question if we could recommend quirky or weird uh, holiday episodes or specials and also I just wanted to briefly mention that I'm watching Melrose Place right now and I'm on season three and they just did a two hour episode which was a Christmas no I guess the two hour one wasn't a Christmas episode I think the one before was and they had, I don't know if you guys have watched Melrose Place, but Heather Locklear played Amanda Woodward, and she was sort of like this doggy dog agency executive, and she walked all over people and schemed and blah, blah, blah. So she was basically Scrooge in a Christmas episode. And so just to briefly catch you up with what why this happened, she and her uh, boyfriend at the time, Dr. Peter Burns, played by Jack Wagner, had conspired to take over D&D agency, which is not Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know what it stands for. And... <laughs> They uh, they were going to push out um, the guy who was running the company, played by Stanley Camel, and I'm forgetting the character's name. I think it's Bruce. And so they do all this plotting, and they get him out, but he's so dismayed by losing hold of the company that he commits suicide in Amanda's office. Just pretty dark stuff. And so she walks in, and his body is hanging from her ceiling. 
And so like an episode later, his sister comes to visit and she's like, you know, he has these two kids, but he didn't really set them up properly with their college fund. And they're both in college and they both have tuition due for the next semester. And we're not really sure how we're going to pay for them. And Amanda's like, so he should have figured that out. If he was going to kill himself, he should have set things up. And so the sister's like, um, thanks. And so she goes home and she has these series of dreams and Bruce shows up in these dreams with the rope burn around his neck. I mean, this is pretty dark stuff. And he makes her touch it at one point and he kind of shows her the airs of her ways. And then at the very end, she buys people like turkeys and stuff and she goes to this woman's house and she's like oh i managed to get the finances together from D and and your sons will always be able to go to college like we can afford to send them for the next four years and then the episode ends and i just thought that was so funny because she's perfect for scrooge and because it w- i don't remember this episode at all and because it was kind of odd and it w- and i guess the original Charles Dickens story is pretty dark in places because he was actually commenting on, what do they call them? The workhouses, right? Children's and yeah. the workhouses, right? And and it was meant to sort of be a commentary on poverty, wasn't it? And, and kind yeah. of the state that it was in. And so um, these adaptations sometimes gloss over that. And I don't know that this Melrose Place really did because mm-hmm. they made her touch the rope burn on his neck where he hung himself. I mean, think about that. That's really dark. Yeah. You know, when we, we want Amanda to learn a lesson. We want her to, you know, get some <laughs> kind of, you know, she needs <laughs> an attitude adjustment. So this is one of the <laughs> moments when she actually gets it. Yeah, it is. Do you, so you know this episode? Yeah. And like, what did you think of it? Yeah, it is dark. Um, but again, it's enjoyable for fans at home because it's like, yeah, she needs, she needs transformation just like Scrooge does. Yeah. Unfortunately, they would only last till like the next episode. Well, because... and that's, how... yeah, <laughs> that's that... Christmas for you. Yeah. That makes you wonder about, um, so there's another special, uh, called a new woman, which was an episode of monsters. Right. And mm-hmm. and it's really good. I wrote about it in Yuletide Terror. I actually really loved it because it's really cheap looking. That was a cheap looking show. But that yeah. show is so full of ideas that I can't help but like embrace it. But like the what's so great about that episode is that she transforms herself at the end but you can tell she's kind of forcing herself to do it because they've shown her what the future is going to look like and she kind of slips and um and so part of it is that they're going to make her grotesque right like they do this thing where her hands become all warty and disgusting and they're like your future is like you're going to be hideous right and so god forbid and so um so as she's like kind of falling back into her old ways, they transform her hands just to show her like what could happen. And so really the only thing that keeps her on the straight and narrow is knowing that something bad will happen. It's not even like she really had a change of heart. It's more that she fears this idea of becoming hideous. And I kind of like the idea of that because like, I love the idea of Scrooge having the transformation and his whole life change and it's this epiphany and it's wonderful. But also I think that when you look at that in modern times, there's this cynicism that can come in and I think sometimes it can work really well if it's done right and I think Monsters and probably Melrose Place did a pretty good job of kind of commenting on sort of our cynical nature of mm-hmm. like why we might change whereas Rich Little keeps it really nice and upbeat and whatever whatever Rich 
It's mostly booze related. Yes. So. <laughs> That's its own form of cynicism. But anyway, I just wanted to briefly mention that Marvel's Place because I just watched it. And I thought it was funny because I was prepping for this. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about was that we were all going to sort of recommend a weird or quirky holiday episode. And so I'm going to go first because I'm recommending one I haven't seen. But I mentioned it to Joanna and um, she seemed to kind of get a kick out of it. And... Um, I think it's probably something that's worth watching, but might need some cultural context to understand it properly. And that is the Bewitched Blackface episode, which I didn't know was a holiday episode. Um, On top of the fact that it's this infamous Blackface episode, which to my understanding has been mostly excluded from syndicated runs. And so I think only recently has it kind of resurfaced. And I could be wrong about that, but I don't remember ever seeing this episode personally. Um, Joanna? I see it air all the time. Yeah, it's called Sisters at Heart. I see it aired all the time. So That's so interesting because I don't remember this one at all. And a couple years ago, people started writing about it. And, uh, and I was like, whoa. Um, and I think it seems horrifying in modern context. But I think at the time they were trying, based on my understanding of the episode without having seen it, they were trying to make an interesting point. And so Tabitha gets a friend who's a little black girl, if I'm correct, and she decides to make them like sisters, and to her, sisters should look alike. So I think she transforms the black girl into a white girl briefly, and then she transforms them both into black girls, and then she, I think, mixes them, and they end up black with white polka dots. Is that right, Joanna? Yes. And there's a party happening at the house. I think Darren is uh, trying to get some client... And the client is a racist. And it's my understanding that they actually used the word racist in the episode, which was pretty progressive and probably groundbreaking at the time. And I think he's under the impression that Darren is in a mixed marriage. Is that right? Right. And so right. then they all go in blackface to, like, terrify him? Is that what happened? Well, Samantha then adds her own um, magic to the situation and, and portrays her whole family as uh yes with um in blackface with colored makeup on their faces to make them uh look like they all have brown skin so and and himself it's parley bear is the is the client that's racist she turns him to see himself when he looks into the mirror he's got uh brown skin with colored makeup and that faces that forces him to deal with his own racism uh and and if if he's a racist he's got to deal with his own self-hatred and, and, and he, he's, he's one of these people that's, you know, a racist that's like, well, my, my best friend is black. I can't be racist. You know, my best friend right. is African American. And, and so Samantha sort of uses her magic to make him look at himself in a new way. Um, but yeah, which doesn't really translate into the 21st century, uh, very easily. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I didn't go ahead. No, no, no. What, I'm glad I'm glad that you were able to to do that because I think the way you explained it shows why it was an important episode in the sixties. Um because yeah, it has to do with the fact that this is only nineteen seventy. <laughs> and and it's actually um I would encourage people, it is very difficult to look at these people, these white people in uh brown makeup, but that's sort of the point too, is to force this character in the story to see himself in a new way. And um, it's an interesting story that really draws a line between um, tolerance and acceptance, which is still a conversation that we need to have. 
um, about people that are different from ourselves? Do we tolerate them or do we accept them? And which is the the better mm-hmm. part of our humanity? Um, and and which do we have more courage for? Um, and and that's an important part of this whole episode. It should also be noted that this episode was written by high schoolers. Really. Yes, it wasn't written by the regular writing staff. This was submitted by a high school class there in Los Angeles for um, as a writing assignment. And then the writers saw it and they loved it because it, it got them outside of their box and uh, forced them to do something a little political. They liked it. And it ended up winning, um, you know, a, a, like a governor's writing award or governor's award. It, it forced conversations culturally, uh, which was rewarded with a, a prize. It, it um it's it's an episode worth seeing, even if it's a little bit difficult in the 21st century to to stomach. So it how, has, how much Christmas stuff is in it? A lot. It's a, a lot. it's a it's a big Christmas episode. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I wish I had time to watch it. I just was like, oh man, I can't think of a really weird. There was one. There's a there was a TV show called Whoops, which was like a post apocalyptic show, and Santa showed up in that but I hadn't seen that one either and so I was trying to think of like really weird things and so I thought you know what I'm just going to google weird Christmas episodes and specials and see if uh, something will like get my brain going and then I saw that Bewitched and I was familiar with the episode because it's become kind of well known over the last few years but um, I just didn't know it was a holiday episode so what an interesting mixture of things happening in that and um it sounds really good. Like the way you explain it really makes me want to watch it. I've always wanted to see it out of curiosity, but, um, but I feel like, um, it seems really important. And I love that it was written by high schoolers because it sounds like there's a real sense of idealism in there and, um, and who's more idealistic than a young person. Right. And so, um, that's kind of great. Um, yeah, so that would be my pick for quirky or weird uh, Christmas specials that I think people should check out. Um, Dan, do you have one you'd like to recommend? Yeah, I, I have one, and uh, it's um, it's not. Uh, yeah, uh, it's actually it's a it's a Christmas it's a Christmas special. It's from 1983, and it uh, involved one of my favorite uh, dumb toys when I was a kid. It's uh, uh, the it's the wacky wall walkers. And it's a uh, deck the halls with wacky walls. <laughs> Is that real? It, yes, yeah. it's basically the wall walkers who were. I think they were from Japan. These little r- rubbery octopus things. You'd throw them against the wall. They'd hit the wall, and then they kind of like shloop, shloop, and kind of flop down the wall. Well, it turns out that the wall walkers are aliens. They're from a planet called Kling Kling. and they come to Earth at Christmas time. And it's I've got it written down here. It's King Kling Kling. Bouncing Baby Boo, Spring at Crazy Legs, Stick'em, Wacky and Big Blue. I think I've got all the names. <laughs> and that gang are sent to kind of check out what Christmas is. And they meet up with this jerk kid who wants like this really expensive toy car that's like a thousand dollars, I think. And they go to a uh, like a mall and they get all kinds of craziness happens and it's just it's nuts and they're these they're basically like these goofy octopus looking like things that stick to stuff and you know like there's a scene where they hang underneath a, a bridge like um like um oh my dog's barking again or our dog's barking again here sorry um 
and like on an uh, overpass on a like a highway and they drop onto a bus and they stick to it and stuff and so they're these strange sticky alien octopi based on these goofy Japanese toys who teach a bratty kid the meaning of Christmas and involves orphans so wow. Uh, so it's not as possibly, you know, it doesn't, ha- you know, your, your Bewitched episode probably has more going on, but mine has what I just said. Yeah, so that's, I, I thought you made that up. I thought, oh, Dan's making I, something up and I'm not going to get the joke. And then somebody like I, Rob Kelly is going to say, oh, haha, Dan, that was so funny. And then I'll feel really <laughs> stupid because he gets all your jokes and I don't always get them. <laughs> well, no, Joanna knows. I know Joanna would know it. I'm waiting for her confirmation you, you because I was hide. like, yeah, she oh, wouldn't. Yeah. That's for real. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because I, I used to have like three or four of those and you throw and they would last for a few days, depending upon how long you threw them at the wall and how like much hair and stuff they got on them. Oh. You know, if you like rub them on your head. No, they were done. <laughs> you used to get them in like boxes of cereal. It was the premium. In oh, yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah. 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 Those things. And you can still get them now. You can find them at, you know, different places and you can get them at Party City or, or wherever. They're just plastic rubbery um so, you know multi-armed limbed things and you just throw them against the wall and they slowly climb down i'm picturing joanna eating like honeycombs and getting the little wall walker okay. out of the box while she's reading truma capote <laughs> <laughs> that's i'm picturing that right now in my head <laughs> that's I was, fantastic i was more of an apple jacks girl but oh so pickles. good <laughs> so well read and such great taste in cereal it's the best <laughs> okay well i'm gonna look for that wall walker thing because that's blowing my mind and i think i have to look at it um, try. <laughs> um joanna i know you have uh, thousands of them in your brain but if there's one you could pick yeah there's a lot of weird christmas and yet you're right i did talk about an awful lot of weird ones i recommended some in in my book uh christmas tv companion yeah but um today i was impressed uh, when i was thinking about weird i was thinking about there are numerous um christmas um, movies or specials or programs that deal with christmas and then cold war politics and each time i see one of these things i'm like this is so weird um, and so today I wanted to, um, and there are numerous of them. There's, um, everybody remembers the Rod Serling written um, movie, Carol for Another Christmas. Yeah. Which is a Christmas Carol adaptation, but it's um, Cold War politics all the way. Very 1964. It's, it's a pro-United Nations um, message, but it's uh, really, it, the ghost of Christmas future uh takes um, that Scrooge character into a post-apocalyptic world. It's really, uh, that's really weird. But also the Man from Uncle uh, Christmas episode in 1966, the Jingle Bell affair. Um, Solo and Kiriakin end up babysitting a Russian uh, head of government, very Khrushchev. You need to just see this character as Khrushchev. (laughs) And they're scared to to death. Russians that are accompanying him are scared to death that he's going to be impressed with capitalism but it's just got this very high tense uh, Cold War Christmas message. Um, I, I, I just love that. Um, and I actually just saw another one. Uh, this is a rare uh, Cold War um, Christmas. It's actually an episode of a dramatic anthology called CBS Television Workshop, which uh, gave opportunities to new actors and new writers and new directors. Um, this is a 1960 episode called Christmas Song, and it's probably 
incredibly rare. I saw it at the Paley uh, Center oh, wow. for Media. So it, I saw it in an archive um, museum. I'm not sure it's <laughs> you can find it anywhere else. But um, it was an outstanding story. It was an hour long. It was about a, a plane um, from London to Moscow that gets mistaken through miscommunication. It gets mistaken for a fighter pilot from the West or a p fighter plane from the West. And so when it arrives closer to Moscow and it wants to la land, the communist government there and the, the people working at the airport think that it mistake it for, you know, a dangerous espionage plane and they want to shoot it out of the sky. And so the, the pilot, the London pilot is trying to explain, this is just a passenger airplane. You know, we're just, you know, regular people don't, don't mistake us. Don't shoot. They're actually shooting at the plane. And so they're, the plane is becoming damaged with the, with, um, <laughs> trying to be shot and out of the sky, but they speak English and not Russian. It's very cold war. And, and the solution is, um, that they get children who are on the plane to sing silent night over the radio. Wow. And so the, the Russian people working at the airport then recognize, Oh, they have children. They don't know English, but they can recognize the song. They recognize it as a, a Christmas song as a peaceful song. And so then they decide to stop trying to shoot this plane out of the sky. I mean, it's an amazing story, but yeah. it's like, wow. It's just filled with this Cold War politics. It's very weird. And if I can be so bold, I'd like to mention one more sure. movie. This is just crazy weird. It's a French movie from 1969 called The Christmas Tree. Uh, it's been released on video under uh, the title When Wolves Cry, but it's a Christmas movie starring William Holden. Okay, classic Hollywood actor, mm. French film, um, and it is insane. Um, it ended up airing on American television in syndication, and I've even seen it pop up here and there, although it, this is rare. Um, but it's called The Christmas Tree, and it's about a, a man played by William Holden who is with his son in a boat in France somewhere, and a plane carrying a nuclear missile crashes or explodes in the sky above them, and they are exposed to the radiation from this nuclear explosion. And sure enough, in a couple of months, his son is diagnosed with, you know, radiation poisoning, and, you know, it's terminal. And wow. <laughs> and happy holidays. <laughs> and so the father is motivated to... Uh, make his son as happy as possible for his last Christmas and his son's favorite animals are wolves. And so get this, the father's bright idea is to break into the local Paris zoo and to steal a couple wolves. And they actually bring them into the home. And in the end, the son dies of radiation poisoning while laying under the Christmas tree, listening to his stolen wolves sing and, or, you know, howl and cry. Wow. Um, oh my goodness. What? <laughs> I think you just traumatized Amanda. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know about that one. That's the second time in a couple of days for her. So yeah, that's. I can't do it, yeah. Joanna. <laughs> I mean, I still haven't watched Nestor yet. I still haven't watched Nestor yet. Oh boy, but these are weird Cold War stories yes. to me, yes. and, uh, I, and I like weird. So this yeah, is uh, always entertaining. Can, can I can I mention one thing that the the one with the plane? reminded me of yes. and this also ties to uh christmas carol is one thing i watch every year since it first premiered in 2010 is a christmas carol the doctor who episode and in that one mm -hmm. you get the matt smith doctor the 11th doctor um who has dropped off his two companions amy and rory who just got married on like a cruise liner spaceship 
right. uh, which is now about to crash into a planet on Christmas Eve. But the thing about the planet is um, there's a very rich family that owns the sky, and the sky is full of flying fish. And the family that owns the sky closes the sky. They let everything in and out. They control the sky. And the man who owns it, played by Michael Gambon, is um, very much like a Ebenezer Scrooge type character. And when he's told that this passenger liner with like 20, 30,000 people is going to crash into the sky and die, he says, whatever. And so it's the doctor's job to change his mind. And he goes, first he goes into the guy's, it's, it's Christmas Carol, the doctor is the ghost of Christmas past. And he goes into the, the guy's past to change his past to make him into the sort of person who would open up the sky. But then the Christmas present is his companion, Amy, who lands, basically, uh, this bad guy, he he keeps, when he takes out a loan, he keeps collateral as a family member. And so he has an underground frozen layer filled with, like, standing coffins filled with people. And there's just this big moment where... Amy brings this guy down there and there are all these holograms of people. I forget if they're singing Silent Night in it, but they're singing Christmas carols. And he says, who are all these people? These are all the people you're about to let die if you don't open up the sky. And they're singing and he gets angry and says, why are they singing? And she says, because the doctor thinks that what the vibrations of their singing might, um, you know, do something to the fish and open the sky. Well, that's not going to work. Tell them to st- and why are they still singing? And and she says like, well, they don't know that yet. And there's just this lovely moment where, and that's what the 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 p- kids singing Silent Night reminded me of that. This great moment where, um, just all these people who are about to crash and die are just singing Christmas carols to someone to try to get them to save their lives. And and so it's also it's a great episode of the show. So yeah, that's a good episode. You you summarized it fairly well. I love too. And- that episode actually uses time travel to, you yeah. know, for that whole thing, which is, it should be used more often. It's a genius, um, yeah. uh, uh, it's, that whole ghost thing. I love it. And it's, it's just, it's a, yeah, it's a great moment where uh, the doctor shows the character like home movies of himself from when he was a child. And then the doctor leaves and suddenly appears in the home movies. And the old man is sitting there watching his young self going, that didn't happen. No, yeah. wait, that did. Oh my gosh, what's happening to my mind? And the doctor is actually rewriting the man's entire timeline to make him a better person. And then the twist, spoiler, is that he makes him such a good person that he can't actually operate the machinery anymore, which was created by his dad, to open up the skies. And they have to do something else to save the day. But it's it's really wonderful. It's it's really a great Christmas episode. Yeah. Whatever, Dan. Oh boy, I'm in trouble. I didn't say you could too too. Oh uh, well, that was that was a Christmas Carol uh, sort of one related yeah, well, you, to something. Yeah, you should have you should have brought that in when I was talking about Melrose Place. Okay, I was going to, but then I thought I'll let it pass. But then she brought they were singing and that saved the day. I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder yeah, if Stephen well, no, no, would have seen that. But it belongs with Melrose Place. I know, I know. That's why we edit. This mm. is this is this is going on your record. <laughs> That's two strikes. Yeah, no, it's not. But okay, so let's do the feedback. Is that cool? Yes, yes. Feedback time. Yeah. Oh, yes. 
So we ended up getting not a bad amount of feedback considering I waited till the last minute to post that this is what we were going to be discussing. So on Facebook, we heard from Tim S. Turner, our good friend Tim. I used to watch this every Christmas. Even as a kid, it impressed me that he was able to play all those characters. It made a nice holiday companion piece to Emmett, to HBO's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. That's going to get mentioned here a couple times, I think. Um, and that's probably a special we should think about covering because everybody seems to love it. Um, David Assassino said, you had me at Rich Little and LSD. But that's kind of how I was promoting this special. Um, David, our friend David Ladd wrote, This one is a real blast from the past. I remember HBO playing it every Christmas back in the 80s. It's still a fun version of A Christmas Carol and a very impressive one-man show for Rich Little. The only downside I can see with it is that I'm not sure if new viewers watching it will know some of the celebrities he is imitating. Which, yes, we kind of agreed with that. And Jay Rothermel said, Great tradition in our family. Nixon is Marley. LOL. He loves it. On Twitter, our friend Kevin Marr said a couple things. And I'm sorry I didn't get to this thing he recommended, um, but I'm going to throw it out there for everybody. So he left a couple of different tweets here. He said, as a kid, there's a good chance I thought Rich Little's Truma Capote was supposed to be Paul Williams. Um, Oh, you just found your paisan, Dan. Um, And then he wrote, to this day, I don't know how to interpret the joke about fish dot 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 function in it. Is he talking about sex, oh, poop, yes. or both? Like a lot of young viewers, I got to know the rich little impressions before I became acquainted with the personalities he was mimicking. Um, and one of his friends said that uh, either he agreed with that part about the mimicking or the about he didn't know what the fish was. And I don't actually remember the joke. That's why Scrooge doesn't drink water because I think, isn't it, like fish function in it? Oh, uh, he's poop. He's talking about pooping. Um, I thought poop too, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and then he recommended... Uh, the Danny Carvey Show. He said, there's an episode of The Danny Carvey Show with a sketch about Rich Little's Easter special. It's Danny Carvey impersonating Rich Little doing celebrity impressions of telling the story of Christ. <laughs> We're singing out before you're taping. It's on Hulu. So we missed that. And um, But I'm going to try to watch it and maybe comment on it on Twitter or by the next episode. Mm. Um, it sounds really good. And I love Dana Carvey. So yeah. um, PJ Smith on Twitter wrote, he was, w- he was great on that HBO special. I like this one better, though. And then he put a little gif. I'm never sure if it's gif or jif of Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And then we got some email, actual email. So we have one piece of email and then one piece of audio feedback. So um, from our good friend Jack DVD 78 he wrote, Merry Christmas to Amanda, D- Nate, and Dan, and, and Joanna. He didn't put Joanna here, but I know he meant it. Um, <laughs> had no idea there was a Rich Little's Christmas Carol. While I'm not that much of a fan of Little's comedic work, I did warm up to him in this special. Some of his impressions were fun, especially liked his take on Peter Falk as Columbo. That typical office Christmas party at Fezziwigs felt more like uh, it was turning into a Me Too office party fast. <laughs> he is right. When Tiny Tim showed up at first, I was thinking, wait, this that's going to be a great Paul Williams or Truman Capote? Little's Capote was perfect. The special worked well and runs... Uh, oh, runs at a nice 50-ish minutes. At first, I was thinking it might have been better to, had Scrooge been portrayed by another actor uh, while Rich Little bounced his comedy off the straight Scrooge portrayal. Thanks, Amanda, for bringing Holiday Cheer and by letting me know about another zany holiday special. Well, thank you, Jack. Um, I'm sorry, before we get to the audio feedback, I also want to say our good friend Caffeinated Joe left a comment on the website. I remember enjoying this when I was a kid. This was uh, this and the Red Skelton Christmas special that aired on HBO, I think. Should yes. be fun. Happy holidays. And happy holidays to you, too. Happy Joe. holidays, Joe. We yeah. love him. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's our feedback from our good friend Adam Gordon. Adam Gordon here, and a couple of quick Halloween comments. 
The woman in black initially felt like a foreboding, 100-minute setup for a Christmas Eve jump scare in Snuff. On second viewing, I found that the film had a little different impact if you view the woman in black as a symbol for modernity, with the skepticism towards it being a common post-Victorian cultural theme. In this case, modernity is associated with relentlessness, invincibility, and through the promise of a better life in the big city, the ability to lure away the children of rural Britain. The haunting of Sarah Hardy, more Celia Ward in lingerie, please, was awesome until the nonsensical penultimate frame. Alan IDs the burnt body as Lucy. He has no motive to do otherwise, so there's still a fugitive on the loose. The cops will be hitting Sarah's house at any minute. Why would Austin come back? Convicted murderers don't inherit victims' estates. One nice touch was when characters visit Lucy at work. At first, she's on a soap set, and by the end, she's stuck doing way off-Broadway Shakespeare. In the CBC production of Rich Little's One Man Christmas Carol, I found the musical numbers to be quite good. I wish there had been more of them and fewer one-liners. But the funniest thing is that absolutely none of this show makes any sense if you're younger than 45. I had never seen this, so it was nice to watch some new Christmas nostalgia. Kudos to Amanda on the appearances on the Roth series. You probably had some of the most insightful comments on the show, especially your interpretation of The Exorcist. Also, kudos to Dan on 80s action movies on the cheap. I picked up the ebook and I've been very impressed. It's a title that every 80s movie connoisseur should own. I've always thought that Golan and Globus may have been the most unassuming propagandists in history. And every book about film should have the word boogaloo in it at least once. Happy holidays to you, Amanda, Dan, Nate, and all of the listeners. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. That's very kind. Very kind. Yeah, what a lovely piece of feedback. Um, I think we talked about the ending of The Haunting of Sarah Hardy in terms of that maybe Roscoe Bourne's character was actually uh, Michael Wood's lover. Remember we talked mm. about that? And oh, that yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, when he went to go ID the body, he was actually a ruse to like kind of stall for time. Yes, yep, yeah. But he is right. I mean, who would inherit what, right? So like yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. But um, but I think we did kind of talk about that ending because I think it's never quite clear if Roscoe Bourne is a good guy or not, even at the very end mm-hmm. because of that ambiguous ending. And mm-hmm. the modernity and Women in Black, that's a dissertation paper. I can't. Yes. <laughs> that's a really yeah. good thought. And um, that's all I'm going to say about it because I haven't seen the movie now in a couple months and I feel like I want to write a paper now. So <laughs> thanks. Um, yeah, so thank you, Adam. I hope you have a really good Christmas, and thank you for watching the yeah, special. You, I'm glad you enjoyed it. We always love Adam's feedback. I think he, he was catching up. He missed a month there. Yes, um, he did. Yeah. Yeah, I think we and, were a little swift on the Halloween announcement, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm really bad about that. I wait till like, the last <laughs> minute, and then I'm like, oh, we have two days. <laughs> and then we record, and that's just because my schedule. But everything is opening up, so we should be okay. So just a couple of uh, housekeeping things. I think uh, there's not much going on in terms of um, – I'm going to not do the shameless self-promotion stuff this because it's the end of the year. But mm-hmm. I do want to go into what we're going to uh, bring into the new year and then how you can get in touch with us because I actually wrote down all of our contact information. So basically, um, you know, we'll be back next year. We try to do one episode a month. I think we've been fairly consistent with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks to Dan, by the way, I forgot to mention that for recording, uh, for editing the uh, small screen fictions that would never have gotten out without you. So I really appreciate that. You did an Mm -hmm. amazing job. So 
expect more of that in the upcoming year, meaning Dan doing all the work and me taking credit for it. Uh, and uh, what I mean is, well, hopefully we'll be here once a month for the next year. We've been getting some really nice feedback and some really great listeners. And we'd love it if you came and visited us on all of our social media. So you can visit our website, which is tvmayhempodcast.wordpress.com. You can find us on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem Show. You can find us on Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast. And you can always email us at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. So I kind of really struggled over what to do next month because I have a lot of ideas, but sometimes it's hard to pair things up. Like there's a movie I know I want to watch, but I can't exactly get the theme right, or I can't figure out if the, what actors' films I want to show together. But it turns out that a movie popped up uh, that I haven't ever seen, that I've been dying to see. And um, I decided that we're going to make this a Michael Parks double feature. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, Michael Parks is a character actor who just passed away not too long ago, somebody that I love. And we're going to talk about him in a couple of different episodes. So I didn't choose Then Came Bronson, which is probably Michael Parks' mm. best TV movie, which is a pilot, because there's another pilot I want to pair with. So we might have two Michael Parks specials this year. But this one, we're going to really focus on Michael Parks as a police officer. No, no. Because that just sounds really sexy to me. And um, we're going to watch a really rare uh, 1970s TV movie called Escape from Bogan County, which is like mm. a Hicksploitation film and was Jacqueline Smith's first TV movie. Okay. And Michael Parks is in it, and he's wonderful. And I can't remember who the bad guy is. I just saw it in the credits, and I was like, oh, he's so good. Um, but now I can't remember who it was. Oh, it's um, John Ryan, I think. Or Mitch Ryan, one of those guys. Um, and we're going to double it with the USA original called The China Lake Murders, which also, which, oh, I'm sorry, which also stars Tom Skerritt. All right. And is excellent. And so next month, we're going to give all our love to Mr. Parks and remember him fondly because he was a wonderful actor. So stay tuned for that. And I will post uh, information about that on the social media when that comes. And I'm also hoping to get some more of those Made for TV Mayhem segments rolling mm -hmm. as well as uh, the Trap cast. So mm -hmm. I am going to do a couple episodes of the Trapper John podcast oh yes yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> if it's the last thing i do i'm getting like a couple episodes out there <laughs> so stay tuned for that and i'll let you know when all that's happening and so i hope everybody has a wonderful holiday a big thank you to joanna for taking time out of her crazy 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 schedule mm -hmm. um that is so glamorous that i can't stand it with all these dresses <laughs> and trips and news stories and um and for coming here and bringing so much to this episode i really appreciate it joanna thank you thanks for having me oh we love it's, it it's been great Yay, and a, and whatever, Dan. Hey, guys, happy holidays. <laughs> what up? Wacky wall walkers forever. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dan's been on fire tonight. So anyway, so thanks, Dan, for making this not a whole therapy session about my fear oh, of one person in, a, in an entire show. So, course. yeah. All right, so I hope everybody has a lovely holiday, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks. Good night. Happy holidays. Bye-bye, guys. Hi, this is Amanda by Night with the Made for TV Mayhem Minute. As much as I love the 70s, and you know I love the 70s, there are still a few things I think we should be woefully regretful of. Uh, Vietnam would be one of them. Rich Little's Christmas Carol, that might be another. Uh, certainly Rich Little is everyone's favorite Canadian impressionist. I know he's mine, but that's because I can't think of another one. Anyway, this crazy guy who started doing impressions for fun as a kid thought it would be a hoot to reimagine Charles Dickens' classic tale, A Christmas Carol, with W.C. Fields as Scrooge. 
Actually, this wasn't Little's idea at all. Fields himself actually approached MGM and asked to play Scrooge in a version of A Christmas Carol, which they eventually shot with Reginald Owen in 1938. Reginald who? Yeah, that's what I said. And then I realized he was Lord Canterville in The Canterville Ghost, so please forgive me, Reginald. Anyway, Owens wasn't their first choice either. Lionel Barrymore was, which means Fields was either their third choice or lower. Um, At any rate, it never came to be, and obviously the world has been worse off for it. So flash forward four decades later and now envision a lean and hungry impressionist whose dream was to put himself in every starring role in a project. Very, very Hollywood of him. Little had found fame when Judy Garland discovered him and she began casting him in variety specials in the 1960s. After that, he became a fixture on the small screen and appeared on numerous shows impersonating everyone from John Wayne to Carol Channing. His stuff is super goofy, but you know, he writes it himself, so I guess points for uh, not bringing down anyone else with him. Um, At the peak of his career, he rolled out this number, along with another silly riff on Robin Hood. In A Christmas Carol, W.C. Fields as Scrooge lords his greedy ways over Bob Cratchit, who's uh, Paul Lind. Well, it's Rich Little as Paul Lind as Bob Cratchit. There are other interesting character choices here as well, such as Nixon as Jacob Marley. Actually, that one fits pretty well. And Columbo as the ghost of Christmas present, and Edith Bunker as Emily Cratchit are just a couple others that show up. However, it was the 30-second bit featuring Truman Capote's Tiny Tim that I think did me in. Um, I was sort of beginning to side with Mr. Little because of the stilted jokes, uh, not sometimes great makeup, the really crazy laugh track that needed to calm down, and an overall weird vibe. Um, they were still beginning to draw me into his dark side. Then Capote stopped me in my tracks. Um, I'm forever grateful Little didn't incorporate Carol Channing into this production either. Richard's Christmas Carol was originally made for Canadian television, and it was produced in part by the CBC. I imagine it was just too cool for American TV in 1979, but HBO um, did pick it up in 1982, and I think that's around the time I saw it. Well, uh, I can never remember if I saw this or the Robin Hood special first. All I remember is that it made me uncomfortable. Uh, watching it now is not nearly as bad as I remembered it. Well, as I barely remembered it, but watching Rich Little for an hour is kind of an intense experience, especially when he painfully tries to reproduce Edith Bunker. Wow. Um, And really, who would ever buy Paul Lind as a married man and married to Edith Bunker, no less? That's a horrible joke. Uh, It's not glamorous at all, is it? Um, Little's popularity dwindled a bit after this hailstorm of weird specials that he uh, would later blame the television's lack of variety shows and people like Fred Travelina coming up and mucking it up for everyone. Wow, Rich, beating up on the Travelina? Below the belt. Both Rich Little's Christmas special and Robin Hood are available on a double-disc DVD. So if you want to see Rich Little do impressions and then dance and sing while he's doing impressions and then watch him do more impressions and sing and dance some more while he's doing impressions, this DVD is probably for you. Please visit my blog, Made for TV Mayhem, for more TV madness. Make 